Well, we're going to go ahead and jump in. You know, Donald and I, we've sort of been just alternating back and forth. We didn't really have anything in particular as far as the sermon series goes this summer to preach specifically. But I've been noticing a common theme. We've been talking about uh, Israel's journey in the wilderness, really, and, and kind of applying that to our own journey uh, in our lives right now specifically. And I feel like it's speaking to us right now in this moment, individually, corporately as a church. And I want to I speak this morning, and I'm going I'm to preach from uh, Numbers 13 and 14. So if you want to go there in your Bible and hang out, I'll read different verses. You know how I do. I read like half the Bible every time I preach. So. Uh, but we like scriptures, so that's a good thing. Amen. Uh, we will jump in there, read some things. I'll read some different stuff. We'll hang out, and I'll tell the story there. I want to talk to you this morning, though, about possessing the promises. Possessing the promises. Now, if you'll notice in Scripture... From the very beginning, anytime God decides to do something in an in, in individual's life, when he, when he decides to do something, when He decides that there's going to need to be salvation, He begins with a man named Abraham and He gives him what? A promise. And He says, look, you, through you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. You're going to have a son and through your family the Christ is going to come and salvation is going to come to the world. When Moses is called by God, what does God tell Moses? He says, Moses, you're going to go into Egypt because I'm giving you a promise. I'm going to deliver them out of the slavery and the bondage of Egypt and I'm going to bring them into a land flowing with milk and honey. That is a promise that God gives. Now how come God does not just go ahead and just just give it to you without promising it to you first. Because he knows that life is a journey of faith. And if you're going to grow in your knowledge of God, your understanding of God, and if God is going to get into your life and transform who you are, you are going to have to participate with his promises. It's a journey of faith. He has to teach you that this life is a journey of faith. So he doesn't just come in and change things right away. He comes in and gives you a promise first. And he speaks that promise to you. But see, we have to learn how to possess the promises specifically. Through a journey, we learn to participate with his promises. Now, in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, verses 2 through 4, listen what it says. It says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers, or you could even say participators, with the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, that's some pretty big fancy language, isn't it? But here's what he's saying. He's saying grace and peace is being multiplied to you because God wants to provide something to you. And let me tell you something. When God provides something to you, first, the first thing that this verse reveals to us is that when God provides, he provides in abundance. Amen. When he gives it to you, he doesn't just want to add to you. He wants to bring multiplication into your life. He wants to bring abundance. Jesus himself said that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. One day Jesus came up to Peter and those boys while they were fishing. And he said, I know y'all haven't caught anything. Cast your net over on the other side. Now when they brought the net in, they didn't just bring like 10 or 15 fish. The net was bursting. 
When he provides, he provides in abundance. When there were hungry people, they had a couple of fish, a few loaves, and he multiplied it, and how many did he feed? 5,000, but when all of them were full, how many basketfuls did they take up left over? 12 basketfuls. That's abundance, folks. That's more than enough. And when God says, I want to provide something for you, his intentions is not to lead you into a place of lack or where you don't have enough. His intention is to say, I want you to experience my abundance. I want you to experience that abundance and, and, and see, the second thing is, is that God is the only source for this provision and Jesus is the only channel. Now, he, Jesus has already given us. He says this divine power that God has released through Jesus has already given you everything you need for life and godliness. Somebody say, I have everything I need. You say, well, that ain't right, Clay. I don't have everything I need. There are things that I just don't have in my life. Here's what he's saying. He's saying what Jesus has done for you on the cross has already purchased everything you will ever need. It's as if when he died on the cross, he said it is finished. Literally, that word means paid in full. And there is a storehouse of abundance for your life that pertains to life and godliness. You live in the life that God wants you to live. He said there's a storehouse full of everything you need, but you have got to go unlock the door access it, step into that abundance for yourself. It will not just come to you because. See, and here's the other thing. He says all of this is coming to you through the knowledge of God. As you grow in relationship with God, you are accessing more of what He's purchased for you. You're accessing more of His promises and you're walking into that. And here, if you're taking notes, I want you to put this first point down, okay? This is one of a very important one. God's provision is in the promises, God's provision is in the promises. Now we know that the scripture says sometimes you have not. Why? Because you ask not. Have you asked God for what he plans to give you in the scripture? He says, look, you are actually going to participate. You're going to be a partaker of the divine nature through these great and precious promises that God has given you. Let me tell you, let me, let me give you a, just an example. Now, when I, just as I was telling you earlier, when I first came to Jesus, man, I was in darkness. I was in bondage. I had addictions. I had all of these things in my life. But I began to get in the word of God. And even though I didn't fully understand everything that I was reading, there were promises of of God to me and as those promises began to get in my heart what happened I began to escape the corruption that is in this world through lust and those promises began to get in my heart and I became a partaker of the divine nature God was depositing himself into me because the fullness of the promises is not great land or great houses or more money the fullness of the promise is God himself it's God Himself. He is the promise. And the more you allow His promises to get in your heart, you are escaping the bondage of this world, the lies of this world, and you are entering into that promised land, which is God Himself. And that's where we're headed, folks. And when you look at the Old Testament, the Old Testament tells a story of this same Christian journey that we are on. Why? Because God delivers them from slavery. He delivers them from Egypt. And he says, I want you to come into a land flowing with milk and honey and abundant life. And in the same way God is saying to you as a Christian, I want you, I want to deliver you from the enslavement of this world, your stress, your fear, your sin, your worry. And I want to bring you into the abundant life where you're overflowing with love. You're overflowing with joy. You have the provision that you need to love God and love people well in your life. He says that's the promised land where all of a sudden you, quit, you stop looking like this world and you begin looking more like Jesus every day that you live. How do we do it? The provision is in the promises. 
We have to possess those promises. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 20. I love this verse. No matter how many promises God has made, and He's made a lot, I'll tell you that. No matter how many He's made, they are yes in Christ. You say, well, is that promise... A lot of times people will go through the Bible and they'll say, well, is that promise for me? Yes. You know why? Because Christ put an emphatic stamp on it and said all the promises of God are yes in Christ. And therefore, through Him, the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. That means we have to go to the promises, respond to them by saying, Amen, Lord, so be this promise in my life. I receive it, I participate with it, and I'm going to allow you to put this promise in my heart so that I'm moving forward in it. Some of you all, you are, you're, you're, you're gripped by fear most of your life. And there are promises as simple as the Lord has not given you a spirit of fear but of, promise, but, but, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. See, the promise is you won't any longer be under this fear that you're living in, but you're going to enter into power and love and a sound mind. Now, you have to begin to get a hold of that promise and wrap your heart around it and begin to walk toward it and let it speak to you and let it change you. Because even what we talked about a couple of weeks ago is when God called them to move into the promised land, what did God tell Joshua? He said, Joshua, every place the sole of your foot shall tread, I have given it to you. He didn't say, I've given it to you. You can just sit down and not worry about it now. He says, no, all these promises are yours. You see that promised land? He said, all of that is yours. He says, but you have to go walk into it and you have to possess it. Somebody amen me this morning. If you don't participate with it, if you don't walk into it and possess it, it is not going to come to you just because you come to church on Sunday morning. You've got to have a relationship with God and you've got to allow the promises to sink into your heart for yourself. I want to, I want to read another verse to you. This is a weird one. You know, Donald tells a joke. He says, you want to read all the whole Bible because if you don't, you'll get to heaven and Obadiah will come up to you and be like, how'd you like my book? I like that joke. How'd you like my book? You ain't going to know nothing. Let me give you one verse you can tell Obadiah when you get to heaven. Obadiah 117. This is a prophecy about the future when Jesus Christ does his work on the cross because Mount Zion represents, it represents the people of God. But on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance. That means you're coming out of the corruption of this world. And then he says, and there shall be holiness. That means you reflect the beauty and the image of God. And then he says, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. Now how many people in here you don't actually possess your possessions? You know what I'm saying? I own a vehicle. And I possess that thing because I use it. I drive it. But here's what I want you to understand as a Christian is that Jesus has paid for things for you to have. They are your possessions paid for in full, but you don't yet possess them. Amen this morning. And you know it. You know it's a reality. Because sometimes when preachers preach and they say these, they, they say these positive things and you're like, man, God has done all these wonderful things for, for me, but how come I'm not experiencing that? How come I'm not yet entered into that? I'm telling you something, we're on a journey the same way that the children of Israel are. And sometimes it feels like it's a wilderness. Sometimes it feels like you're thirsty. Sometimes it feels like you're hungry. Sometimes you're complaining. Sometimes on the inside you don't know when the next provision is going to come. But when they learn to look to Jesus and call upon God, how many times did he not answer them? Not one because the provision was already there. He made water come in a desert. He can make anything you need come when you need it, but you have to learn how to possess it. Now, I want to tell you this story of how they, they really struggled to enter in. Now, you guys know the story. We've talked about it several times. Donald talked about it last week, how the children of Israel, the people of God, Israel, by that time they were about 4 million in total. God brings them out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness. They're complaining. 
They're trying to go into this promised land. It was an 11-day journey, and it ended up taking them 40 years. That's a bad deal. So they come to the border of this promised land, and I want you to imagine this. Two years into their journey in the wilderness, they're in Numbers 13. Two years into their journey, they come to the border. It's just been two years at this point. They look down into the border, and they see the land right in front of them. And they're looking at it, and the place is called Kadesh Barnea, Kadesh Barnea. And when they get there, see, that's where everything changes because they see not the beauty of the land, not the goodness of the promises, but they see the obstacles that are in the land. And those obstacles put such fear in their heart that they cease believing God. And God says, because of that, you're not going to be able to enter into the promises. You're not going to be able to enter into the land that I've promised you. And 40 years because of their unbelief, they were tested under God's wrath. Literally. God says, for the 40 days that you ended up going in and looking at the land and you didn't believe me that I would bring you into there, he said, all of you all are going to die in the wilderness except for two of you and your children and they're going to go in before you. So 38 years they had to wait because they did not believe God. Hebrews 4 says that they heard the gospel the same way that you and I heard the gospel. They heard the good news. They knew that there was land there that they, didn't, that they didn't cultivate. There was houses there that they didn't build. There were vineyards there that they didn't plant. God said, I have all this stuff for you, and it's already finished. When you walk into it, it's done. I've already got it set up for you. But because of their unbelief, because they did not mix the good news with faith, they did not enter into that rest. They did not enter into that promised land. Now, I don't know about you, but I want every single thing that God has for me in this life. I do not want to get to the end of this life and say, God, you know, I just got scared. I, 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 was, I was afraid to step forward. And I've got to be honest with you, sometimes I am afraid. Sometimes I look at the obstacles and they look overwhelming. And I say to myself, God, I can't do that. Because we're all human beings, we all struggle. And we need to hear the Word of God in order to get our faith up. And so I thank God that you're here this morning and you're going to allow the Word of God to penetrate your heart so you can get your faith up in some areas in your life to begin to possess your possessions. So look, let's look at it. Numbers 13, let's go to the story. We're in Numbers 13. and the very first couple of verses there, it said, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan. Now they're on the border. And they're saying, all right, here's what we're going to do. This is the land that I'm giving you. I want, to, I want you to send men in to spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the children of Israel. Now, did he say, I might give it to you? No, he said, I'm giving this to you. It's yours. I have given it to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. Now, these are leaders that they begin to send in. And here's what God says. He says, I want you to spy out the land which I'm giving to Israel. Now, I want, you to ask, I want to ask you this question. Have you ever gotten in Scripture and just looked around and spied out what's in there and imagined what it would look like if you superimposed the promises of God onto your life? You ever thought about that? What happens if I take the promises of God and I impose them onto my life? What, and imagine, what does my life look like? I want you to take it a step further. What does your family look like? What does our community, what does Clay County look like? What does... Kentucky look like? What does our nation look like when we take the promises of God and we impose them into our situation? 
You need to begin to imagine like that. You need to begin to think like that. God, what if this scripture, these verses, begin to come to life? Because I'll tell you what will happen. You and I will begin to look like Jesus and we'll begin to reflect Jesus and the community around us will begin to look more and more like heaven. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that drugs and addiction will be running rampant anymore. It means that sacrificial love will be running rampant all around us. It doesn't mean that death and sickness and disease will be running rampant anymore, anywhere. It means that health is going to start to flourish. It means that people are going to discover healing. It doesn't mean that people are going to have a poverty mindset anymore and that's going to be running rampant and people are going to be bitter and hateful. It means that people are going to begin to believe for generous generosity and growth and prosperity and they're going to see that, listen, God has paid for something and we are to pray, Lord, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Impose the promises on your life. Put them on there and say, what does it begin to look like if I spy out this land and I put the promises of God over my life? Now, they were supposed to see the goodness but not the challenges. Now, I want you to notice, I'm not going to read all this, but you know how you read in the Bible now and it gives you, y'all ever been in the Bible reading? Maybe some of you have been in the Bible in a year playing you start reading, you get into the lineages, Right? Boring, right? Anybody ever been through there and they just start skipping it? Hey, come read that. Adam begot Seth, begot Canaan, begot Enosh, begot... I ain't, I ain't reading all that. You know, I, I, I started studying uh, Greek and Hebrew, which is weird. Donald make, make fun of me. He'd say, Bulamai. You know? But, but it's interesting because everything in Scripture has meaning. It's hidden meaning sometimes, but it has meaning. And you read this big list because the very next verse in verse 3, it says he sent them in and then it'll, it'll list it like this. So they send 12 guys in, but here's how it says it. It'll say, now that these were their names from the tribe of Reuben, uh, Shemua, the son of Zakur. So for each one, you got three names. From the tribe of Reuben, Shemua, the son of Zakur. So how many names you got told? You got 36 names that he lists. And you got to read through that if you're going to read the Bible in a year. And it's rough. And you're reading all these crazy names and you're reading that you're thinking, what is the point of this even being in here? Now let me give you a little bit of precedent for this. The first, the very first lineage in the Bible, okay, is, is, is it tells Adam's lineage. And it says, Adam begot Seth. Seth begot Enosh. Now if you begin to look at the Hebrew meaning of their names, Adam means man, okay? Seth means appointed. Enosh means mortal. And I could go through the rest of the list. Mahalil means mighty God. Noah means rest. Okay, there's all these names and they all have meaning. Jared means descending. Okay, there's all these different names in there. And if you put them together, I read this book one time and, and this guy was talking about how a Jewish man didn't believe in Jesus. And he got it, he was reading through Genesis and he read that lineage and he read it in the Hebrew language and he began to put those names together. And here's what it reads when you put those names together, I kid you not. It says, man appointed mortal sorrow. The mighty God shall descend teaching. His death shall bring the despairing rest. Somebody, you kidding me? He read that and said, okay, this right here is the gospel message in the first lineage and I couldn't even see it unless I had that lens where I saw it. And he saw those names and he gave his heart to Jesus because then he believed when he saw that hidden in those names. Now that's amazing, isn't it? 
Methuselah's name literally means Methuselah. Y'all know Methuselah. He lived 969 years. He was the oldest guy in Scripture. And there's a reason he lived the longest. Because his name, Enoch gave birth to Methuselah. And Enoch named his son Methuselah because God told Enoch, he said, Enoch, your son, his death shall bring judgment upon the earth. Now think about that. So he named him Methuselah, which means literally, his death shall bring. That's a bad name, isn't it? Don't name your kid that. Yeah, what are you naming your kid, Clay? His death shall bring. It's going to be a great kid. That'd be weird. But he named that, and guess what? Because of God's mercy, what happens? Methuselah lives longer than anybody. Why? Because God doesn't desire to bring judgment. He desires mercy. So you see that in Scripture. Now, we got 36 names here. And I spent, the other day, we were just sitting in the living room, and I was on, on my phone, and I was, I was translating these, uh, these names out. And, and Andre was sitting there. Now, i got to be honest with you. I took a little bit of liberty. I added some punctuation. I added some conjunctions, okay, just to help it out a little bit. But here's what it reads. When they, here's what would happen. They were looking at the land. They saw the giants. But all of these men's names, if they just looked at each other and saw what their names meant, here's what they would have read. Put that big slide up there with all those names on there. It's a big, long one. You got this. No, not that one. I'll read it to you from here. It says, Behold the sun. There you go. You can maybe read it with me. It says, Behold the sun. Listen to and remember him. He hears you and brings judgment on your enemies. Your praise will attack your enemies and the Lord will bring a reward. He is a redeemer and he will bring increase. He protects and covers you so that you might have double fruitfulness. Salvation shall be established and propagated. The son of my right hand will deliver, preserve, and heal you. You shall dwell in the fortune of God, enjoying his friendship and secret counsel. As your fortune in God is increased, he will cause you to forget the pain of your past. The family of God shall be vindicated and God will cause them to deal bountifully with others. Happiness will no longer be hidden for who is like our God. Your struggle caused you to hide, but now good fortune is added to you. The majesty of God has brought you out of depression and poverty for you have been drawn out by Him. Isn't that awesome? And if they'd have just read their name... Because here's what I want you to understand. This is my second point if you're taking notes. Our destiny is rooted in who God says we are. They had names and their names had meaning. They had names and their names had meaning. And our destiny is rooted in who God says we are. Now, I have got to be honest with you. Sometimes I have a struggle in my mind and I'm just like anybody else, even though I'm pastoring. Maybe that means that Satan attacks me a little bit more. I don't know. But sometimes in my mind, I hear a voice telling me that I'm not any of these things. That none of these things are going to happen for me. That I ought not look for the good. Can anybody amen me and be be able to say, I never feel this way when I look at these things. I don't hear what God is saying about me. I I hear what the world is saying about me. I hear what what my own voice is saying about me and I feel very little. I feel like I can't do anything and I'm not hearing this and I'm telling you God has put a name over you that's beyond your natural name. And he says there's purpose on that one's life. They have destiny and you have got to listen to what God is saying and silence the voice of the enemy that is coming against your life. See he's given you a purpose and our destiny is rooted and who God says we are. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Forty days, they went in and they spied out this land and they were looking at it. And sometimes you got to go in and you got to spy out the land. See what it looks like. 
Amen. Get in the scripture. See what it says. Spy out the land. See how good it is. See the fruitfulness that's there. Imagine what your life could be like because your self-image, I promise you, is different than how God views you. Now notice this. They go in, they spy out the land. They bring back an abundance of fruits. They, they, they bring back grapes that are so big that they had to carry it between, in a pole between two guys, which is a picture of Christ because it was on a wooden beam, picture of the cross, and two men on his side. When Jesus was crucified, there were two men on his side. And he said, through me what I am the vine, and through me you shall bring forth much fruit. It was an abundant life. Grapes hanging from the top to the bottom, about six foot cluster of grapes. They brought it in. They said, boys, this is the fruit of the land. It is luscious. It looks good. It's amazing. It's beyond what you can imagine. I'm telling you, what God has for you is beyond what you can imagine. It is supernatural. It is beyond what you can pick naturally. It's not natural fruit. But here's the issue. Verse 26, it says, Now they departed after these 40 days, verse 26, and they came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And then they told him, saying, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. So they come back, they bring the report. And what they said, yeah, it's good, but... Donald talks about how you got to get your butt out of the way sometimes. He said, it's good. I see the good in this land, but... And then they started listing all of the negative things. They laid, they laid out a pros and cons list. You ever do that? He said, let me weigh out the pros and cons list of this. Let's see if we can actually do it or not. And sometimes that feels like wisdom. But when you're dealing with the promise of God, sometimes you got to throw wisdom to the side. Sometimes you got to let faith say, this ain't rational. This doesn't make sense, but God said it. And so they come in and notice this. The, the names, they said the Canaanites are in there, the Jebusites. Now put up that other verse you had first. Here's what their names mean. This is weird too. Amalekites means toilsome labor, severe work. It's hard. Because some people say, well, you know, I would become a Christian, but it's just too hard, man. It's just too hard. It's work. I don't feel like doing it. Hittites means shattered, discouraged, and terrified. The Jebusites, their name means, and these are the root words of these names. It means to tread down, to trample, to dishonor. Amorites means talker or sayer. And you know that Satan is an accuser. More times than not, what Satan does is he doesn't really do anything to you. He just talks to you until you come into agreement with him. And what is it, when he talks, what does he do? Canaanites means he, tra- he traffics humiliation to cause your loss of self-respect, your dignity, and your identity. In other words, when you begin to enter... Now, listen to me, folks. When you are a Christian and you begin to move forward with God, Satan is not going to say, oh, well, just let him on in. Just let him on in. He does not want you going into the promises of God. And what he's going to do is he's going to tell you that this is toilsome labor. This is hard work. You can't do this. And then he's going to try to bring discouragement on you. He's going to try to bring fear on you in order to... to to dishonor you, to tread you down and trample you under his foot. And he is going to talk and say everything that he can to you in order to humiliate you and cause you a loss of self-respect, dignity, and ultimately he wants to rob you of your identity. 
That's what he's going to try to do because he does not want you to enter into the promised land. And I'm telling you right now, there are the, it, the demonic, our enemy, is setting on our promises saying, we've got this county covered. We've got this region covered. You're not breaking the chains of addiction. You're not coming in. You know why? Because you, you yourself are not even able to do this. You know you can't do this. You're not worth much yourself. And he'll speak down to you. He'll dishonor you and tell you you're not able. And I'm going to tell you one thing, folks. We're not able, but we've got a God who has given us a promise. And it's not about whether or not we're able. It's about whether or not we believe his promises. It's about whether or not we believe his promises. And he is giving us promises. And we're not just talking about some fantasy promised land. We're talking about transforming our community. We're talking about so changing a region that when our kids grow up, every time I hear somebody talk about their children, they talk about, well, I'm just afraid of what it's going to be when they get... I'm not afraid of what it's going to be because I believe that God is raising up people who believe in his promises and say, we're not going to allow the enemy to do what he's telling us he's going to do. We're going to let God be the deciding factor in what is going to take place in our lives and in our community. This is the kind of Christian that we have to be. you got to make a decision. You can't come to a place where you say, well, it's just not going to make Clay County. It's terrible. Everything's terrible. Everything's terrible. That's all you hear. And there's unbelief. And it's rooted in this lack of trust in God, this lack of relationship with God. And you got all that, but I love this verse 30. Sometimes you need a dude like Caleb. It says, Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Caleb stands up in the midst of everybody, these 12 dudes. And, you, and this word quieted, it, it sounds really nice in the New King James Version. It literally is an interjection that means hush, keep silent. And I don't know about you, but sometimes in our lives we need somebody to just come in and say, Hush. Sometimes you need to tell your own mind to hush. Shut. I got to do that. Shut up, Clay. Be quiet, bro. You are thinking too negatively. You're looking at your circumstances all messed up. This is not rooted in the promises of God. You're not even thinking about God's word. You are listening to the enemy tell you and dictate your choices and your decisions. And some of you right now, the enemy is dictating your choices. He's dictating your decisions. And you need to say, hush. Be silent. God has given me a word and we need to go up at once because we're well able to overcome it. We're well able to overcome this. We're well able to get a hold of this. And then in verse 31 it says, But then the men who had gone up with him said, We're not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people whom we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak, came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our sight, and so we were in their sight. Let me ask you this. What kind of report are you bringing in your own life? What kind of, on a daily basis, what kind of report are you bringing concerning your situation, concerning your family, concerning your church, concerning all the things that are going on? And listen, I'm as guilty as the next one. Even as I'm, I'm telling you, I, I, I've been preaching to myself here lately more than I've been preaching to anybody. So I'm not preaching this from the standpoint of I've got this all together, I'm always positive, I've always got faith. No, we, we have to put ourselves in check because this is a battle. Amen? This is a battle that we are in. We've got to watch our mind. But see, what kind of report are we bringing? What kind of report do you bring about your community? What kind of report do you bring? See, their circumstance shaped their perspective rather than the Word of God shaping their perspective. What the enemy said, what the enemy had done, shaped their perspective rather than the Word of God. 
I've been reading some stuff written by this, this neuroscientist, right? And she talks about how the brain works. And one of the things that she said, and these, these psychologists that were studying with her, they said that, that the majority of your inner consciousness is negative self-talk. And when I read that, I got convicted because I began to think about all the things that I've said negatively about myself, even sometimes privately. You ever get in that? You just do something wrong. You're like, gosh, you're an idiot. You're just stupid. You ever say stuff like that about yourself? I ain't ever going to do anything. Oh, I'm a joke. I've done that, man. And I'm reading this and I'm starting to get convicted because, because the Lord is saying, see, when you, every time you do that, you are eroding your faith and you are rooting your mindset in a direction that's taking you backward rather than forward. Your mindset is, 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 is all wrong. And, and they said that this negative self-talk, it actually begins to create a story in your mind that you begin to believe. And, and here's what they said. Listen to me. They said that, that whenever you create this negative self-talk and you've got this story in your mind, you will actually only agree with things that agree with your bad narrative. So when bad things happen, you'll say, see, it always happens. And 20 good things could happen, but because it does not agree with your mindset, you, you just ignore it. That's amazing, isn't it? That's the power of the mind. Because you've got a well-rooted path in your mind, and you say, this is the direction I'm going. I'm negative. I'm headed in a negative direction, and, I'm just, and that's just the way it is. And if you agree with me negatively, then I agree with you. And if you give me something positive, I say, no, I'm not listening to that. And the terrible thing is, we do that all the time, don't we? And see, we become just like those spies rather than we do become like Caleb and like Joshua. And we begin to bring a bad report. See, number three in your, in, in your, in your notes is our mindset, our mindset will either drive us forward or push us back. Now, some of you, you need to understand that your anxiety and your fear can actually be a good thing if you allow it to be an indicator that says, I need to change the way I'm thinking. Fear and stress can be helpful if you learn how to work through it. But it's not helpful if you allow it to dominate your life. And the way that you change it is you begin to work on changing your mindset. Now what they did was they said, we're like grasshoppers in their sight. And we're grasshoppers in our own sight. They labeled themselves as something small and insignificant. And when you label yourself as something small and in insignificant, it gets rooted in your identity and you begin to go backward rather than forward. Because you believe no good things about yourself. God calls you a mighty man, a mighty woman of God, capable of things that you've never even dreamed of. And you need to allow that to get in your heart. You need to begin to dream with God. God, what's my life look like when the promises get fulfilled? When I have the right mindset? Now here's what she says. A mindset is an attitude or a cluster of thoughts that are attached to information and emotions that generate a particular perception. They shape how you see and interact with the world and they can either catapult you forward allowing you to achieve your dreams or they can put you in reverse drive if you're not careful. A mindset, therefore, is a significant mental resource and source of power. Your mindsets set your expectations levels whether they are positive or negative. Now, where, your mindset is, whether it's positive or negative, you're going to set your expectation based on your mindset. Now, Ephesians 4.23 says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. When you get up in the morning, what are your first thoughts? I've been getting up in the morning and just to try to get my mind fueled in the right direction, I've been looking at Andre and go, it's going to be a great day. Like, I even smile like that. 
She'll tell you, I've been doing that lately. We've been do- I've been doing that. Why? Because I found myself getting these negative thoughts in my mind, and I had to flush those things out and say, hush, be silent. This is going to be a great day. God's going to speak to me today. I'm going to hear his voice. I'm going to do his will. He's going to put me on path with people that I can bless, that I can love, that I can be good to, because I'm a vessel of his love, and I'm dying to myself this morning to give glory to God. Things are going to But if you just get up and be like, gosh, yeah. I was talking with my father-in-law the other day. He's hilarious. Me and him have the same personality. He said, <laughs> we were talking about how sometimes we get up and we're just like yes in the morning, you know. Anybody amen me on that? You just feel like yes. He said, yeah, first thing I say when I get up is, yeah. <laughs> I thought, maybe we need to work on that. Maybe we need to change that. <laughs> Oh, man, you've got to have a different mindset. You've got to renew your mind, and you've got to ask yourself, which direction are you thinking? Which direction are you headed? The thing that these neuroscientists talk about, and that the Bible talks about it too, is your mind has the power to change who you are, and guess what? You have the choice to think about what you want to think about. Your mind is not in control of you. It is, a, it is an instrument. It is a servant, not a master. I get to tell my mind what to think. Yeah, I'm going to have random thoughts that aren't mine throughout the day, but the scripture says, you know how you engage in spiritual warfare? You cast down wrong imaginations. You take every thought captive and you renew your mind. You renovate that house and you clean out the negativity. You wash your mind in the word of God. And when you realize that you are in depression, you are in fear, you are in anxiety, you say, I got to wash this brain. I got to get brainwashed. I got to get in the word and change my mindset and change my perception. See, the renewed mind sees the world like Jesus sees the world. Can you imagine a renewed mind that Jesus, when he walked in on a dead girl, they said, listen, she died. You're too late. He says, this girl's not dead. She's only sleeping. You know what they did? They began to laugh. He had a renewed mind. He says, you don't understand the power of God. You don't get it. But my mind sees it. I see things differently than you see things. And you've got to renew your mind so that when everybody else sees Clay County or sees a situation and they see only the negative, you see the positive. The other day I was reading some statistics about Clay County and I read things like this, that there's around 20,000 people in Clay County and only about 5,000 are actually employed. That means that three out of every four people that could get a job don't have one. And our poverty level is extremely low. If you look at the poverty over the state of Kentucky, you got a bunch of white states, you got some yellow states, you got some pink states, and then you got like three dark red states, and Clay County is one of them. And I looked at that map and I began to pray and it just burdened me because I know the mindset that we have in this county and we all believe there's really nothing ever going to change about Clay County. That's what the lie says. That's what the enemy says. But listen, folks, God has raised you up in this county for a reason. I tried to leave here. And he sent me back. And wherever you are, wherever God is sending you, it doesn't matter. He has called you to the place that you are at. He's called you to the region that you are at. And something is happening. Because when God does something here, there's no way anybody's ever going to be able to take credit for it. They're going to have to say, man, this was God that did this. And I begin to pray and I imagine on that map all of a sudden that, that county going to yellow, going to white, changing, 
being transformed right before our very eyes. You say, Clay, well, that's just not logistically possible. We don't have the workforce. We don't have this. We don't have that. Listen, that's what those boys did. They evaluated it from a logical perspective. They got fortified cities. They got giants. Their people are stronger than us. All of these things I know from a logical perspective, they don't fit. But what happens when the promises of God and the power of God is revealed and everything is reversed? But see, it does take time. You've got to get a glimpse of this. You've got to get this in your imagination. You have to have a different mindset. And you have to be willing to do your part. It's not going to change because we wish it. It's going to change because you say, I can impact one person's life. I can change one person's life. We can decide to so invest in our children that by the time our children are our age, they're dominating the devil's kingdom. Yeah. Dominating the devil's kingdom. I'm not even doing what I'm doing for my destiny. I'm doing what I'm doing for your children's destiny. Because we're going to raise them up and they're going to dominate the devil's kingdom. Get this in your heart. Get this in your imagination. Let it be rooted. Let's go look at, look at chapter 14 now. You know, I, I think about this renewed mindset. And you think about Joshua. What kind of mindset does it take a man to be in a battle? And while he's in a battle... He's like, boys, we need to win this battle, but the sun is going down. We don't have enough time. What should we do? Let's call the troops and figure out how we can plan for tomorrow. Now, this dude steps into such an area of faith that he looks over and he don't even pray the right prayer. He says, sun, stand still. We need time. You talk about a prayer of faith. He prayed the wrong thing. The sun's been standing still. It's the earth that's moving. God heard it though and he knew his heart and he answered it anyway. Because it's not what you say, it's what comes out of your heart. It's not a, you don't have to say everything perfect. He just needs to see that your heart is pure toward him. We live in Clay County. We ain't always going to say the right thing. I've done already spoken like 30 double negatives this morning. And the Lord's still going to bless it. We ain't always going to say the right thing. But God sees our hearts. And he says, sun, stand still. And the sun stood still. See, Joshua and Caleb, they had a different mindset. Now let's read several verses here together. Chapter 14. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and they cried and the people wept that night. Now notice this. They've not entered, they've not entered into the land. They've not fought the giants yet. They're already crying. Have you looked at your situation? You just start crying before you even enter into it. It'd be like, you got a doctor's appointment. You just start crying before you even get the report. Somebody amen me on this. Y'all know exactly what I'm talking about. Oh, I'm going to the doctor. It's going to be terrible. And I, I know, I know, I understand, I understand that these fears come against us. We live in such a fallen world, a broken world. Terrible things happen. They really do. We are in a battle, folks. We really are. This is, this is warfare day after day, but you've got to keep your mindset in line. You've got to keep your mindset in order. And in chapter 14, I'm reading here, he says, and it says, All the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. Notice this. But Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who spied out the land, tore their clothes, and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we passed 
through to spy out is a very good land. If the Lord delights in us, then He will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Now notice this. He says, if God delights in us, notice this, they are conscious of God's heart. They're conscious of God's hand, His love, His power, and the others are conscious of the enemy's power. And here's what they said. I love it. He said, look, boys, if God delights in us, let us go up at once and possess it. Because all these giants that you're seeing, they're going to be bread for us. They're going to be bread for us. Which brings me to my fourth point in your notes. Faith causes us to see challenges as nourishment. Faith causes us to see challenges as nourishment. I know you've got obstacles in your path. I know you've got difficult seasons. But when you are filled with the spirit of faith, you see that stuff and all of a sudden you say, you know what, all these enemies that are before me, they're only going to be bread. They're going to be nourishment. It's going to be fuel. It's going to change me. It's going to make me stronger. Somebody amen me this morning. See, we look at so many challenges and we say, I cannot face that, I cannot do that, I don't want to do that, that's uncomfortable. And the, the spirit of faith says, but God has promised me this and this is going to be bread for me, this is going to be nourishment for me. Now notice what it says that they did in verse 10. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now y'all know as well as I do, if you preach bad news, people will say, amen, that's a man of God right there. Amen. Terrible things are happening. People are terrible. Everything's terrible. Amen, brother. God bless you. You're a man of God. You start preaching good news, everybody wants to stone you. You start preaching good news, everybody says, now let's kill him, folks. Things aren't good. They're not going to be good. They're not positive. And I'm telling you, yes, people need to repent of their sin, but God wants to bring true repentance. He wants to bring salvation. He wants to bring good in our world. Amen. He is not just interested in bringing judgment right now. He wants to transform people's lives. And we got to bring good news to the world. Good news to the world. Even if they decide, even if the religious people decide to stone us, man, we got to bring good news to the world around us because Jesus still saves. And here's what it says about, about Caleb, verse 24. It says, But my servant Caleb, because he, is, because he has a different spirit in him and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land where he went and his descendants shall inherit it. See, he had a different spirit. I, I, I don't know about you, but I want God to be able to say, you know what, while all the rest of the world was going in a totally different direction, everybody else was so full of doubt, man, he had a different spirit. He was full of faith. While everybody else was hateful and angry and pointing out all the negative, man, he was, he was pushing forward into the positive. He was believing me for greater things. He had a different spirit. He was willing to follow me fully. He was willing to, to, to resist the naysayers and say, you know what, I'm going forward. He was willing to say hush to the people that had a bad report and brought a negative report, and he was willing to move forward. That's what I want to see. Now, what was so interesting about them is Joshua, when he was 40 years old, 40, when all this happened, and I want, I want to read some verses to you out of the book of Joshua. Caleb and Joshua were both 40. And Caleb gets to this point where they finally enter into the land at the end of these 40 years. And while they're entering into the land, here's what it says in, in Joshua chapter 14 verse 7. It says, here's what Caleb says. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought back word to him as it was in my heart. 
Next verse. Just keep rolling with me. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, but I wholly followed my God. So Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot is trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, as he said, these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses while Israel wandered in the wilderness. And now, here I am this day, 85 years old. He's an 85-year-old man now. Now listen to what he says. As yet, I am as strong this day as on the day that Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, so now is my strength for war, for both going in and coming out. Now how many of you got the faith to believe that you may be 40 right now, but when you you're 85, you're going to say, I'm as strong now as I was when I was 40. And it don't matter. There's some promises that didn't get fulfilled yet. But if it takes me to when I'm 85, I'm going in when I'm 85 because I'm going to be by faith just as strong as I am when I am 40. So, I don't, somebody need to get pumped about that this morning. Now, therefore, give me this mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in that day how the Anakim were there and that the cities were great and fortified. It may be that the Lord will be with me and I shall be able to drive them out as the Lord said. Now it says, it goes on to say in the next verse, put that up there. It says, Hebron therefore became the inheritance of Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, because he wholly followed the Lord God of Israel. And notice this last verse. And the name of Hebron formerly was Kirjoth Arba because Arba was the greatest man among the Anakim. He killed the greatest giant in all the land. Because he said, you know what? I know y'all don't want that mountain. I'll take it. I know y'all don't want that mountain. I know that giant's too big. Ain't none of y'all want that. Don't worry about it. I'll take it. How many of you going to get that in your spirit? A different spirit. One that follows the, whole, the Lord fully. And while everybody else is saying, we can't do that, that can't be done. That giant's too big. Caleb says, I may be 85, but I'll still take that mountain. Give me that mountain. I want, I want that to get in somebody's heart this morning. Give me that mountain. Give me that one that nobody else wants because the giant's too big. He went and he took the head of the biggest giant and said, now this is my land. This is my mountain. Folks, we have got land that God desires for us to take and we will not take it unless we are willing to sacrifice and say, I'm not, I'm not satisfied with a normal Christian life. I'm not satisfied with just being a good person. I want to move into the fullness of what God has for me. I want to move in. I want to believe these things that God has for my life. Number five, and I'm done. You guys can come to the music. Number five, faith sees the invisible promises as a greater reality than our visible circumstances. Faith sees the invisible promises as a greater reality than our visible circumstances. Now, most of all of us, man, we are led by what we see visibly. We're led by what we see in the natural. And we, we hear those things. We listen to those things. We see those things. And it dictates our emotions. We get fearful. We get caught up in all of that. But see, faith moves past what we see in the natural. And all of a sudden, it moves into a realm where it sees the promises of God. And let me tell you something. You've got to use your imagination for the promises of God. 
You've got to begin to see things. You've got to begin to dream with God. Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I want to give you a little bit of a different definition. Faith is an embracing of a vivid vision of an anticipated future. So you begin to see a vision of your future, a vision of the future of your community, of your family, of the people around you, of somebody that's dealing or struggling with something. Begin to envision that in your mind until you begin to grab a hold of it This embracing that vision. And that vision is created by the promises of God. And those promises create a compelling conviction that say, I'm moving in that direction. In other words, here's what faith is. Faith is when I begin to envision what God's promise looks like. And I don't just hope for it, but I embrace it. And I say, I see it, and therefore I'm moving in that direction. That's what faith is. Faith gets up and moves. Faith sees the future. Faith says God's promises are stronger than what I'm going through. 2 Corinthians 4.13. I want to read this to you. See, it said that Caleb and Joshua, they had a a different spirit. 2 Corinthians 4.13 says, And since we have the same spirit of faith, that's the spirit they had. They had the spirit of faith. According to what is written, I believed and therefore I spoke. We also believe and therefore speak. See, faith isn't I see... And then I believe. Because you ain't going to see it first. You're not going to see it first. It's not I see and then I believe. No, it's I believe and therefore I speak. I believe what God is saying in His Word and therefore I speak His Word out and I pursue His Word as if it is a reality. Now let me tell you what faith does not do. Faith does not deny the circumstances. There was a big movement in the Word of Faith where, you know, if if you were dealing with something, you just denied it was even there. I ain't going to deny that it's there. I'm not going to deny that Clay County has some real issues or that our community or that our families or that different situations, that they're real issues. They are. You don't deny the circumstance. You just see a greater reality that trumps that circumstance. And you believe, and therefore you begin to speak. And you speak out God's Word, and you begin to say, that's what the greater reality is. And in verse 17 and 18, here's what it says. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. You need to get into a position of prayer where you begin to understand that everything you're going through right now, it's a light affliction. It's not something heavy that's going to wear you out. The devil's trying to convince you you're not going to make it. The devil's trying to convince you it's not going to happen. But this is a light affliction, folks. And he said, but what God is working in you is a far more and exceeding eternal weight of glory. He says, how are you going to get to that glory? By not looking at the things that you see, but by looking at the things that you don't yet see. That's where faith, faith sees the invisible. Faith sees the invisible. And you've got to begin to imagine with God, God, what does it look like when your promises are applied to my life? What does it look like when your promises are applied to my marriage? What does it look like when your promises are applied to my family, my lost loved ones? What does it look like when your promises are are applied to this sinful habit, this addiction, our community? What does it look like? You see that, you embrace that, and by the Word of God, you step into it and you begin to possess that promise. That's where we're at this morning. How many of you all are looking to possess the promises of God in your life? I want you to bow your head where you're at. 
that you've got to ask yourself, what promises, what promises of God do I need to release my faith in? What promises of God do I need to focus on? You know, one of the greatest promises of God, it says in Scripture, that he who believes in his heart that Christ Jesus was raised from the dead and confesses with his mouth that he is Lord, the same shall be saved. That's just one promise. There's promise after promise. But if you're in here this morning and you say, that's the promise I need. I want to be sure of my salvation. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to follow him. I want to take that step. I want you right now, everybody's heads down. I want you to just raise your hand and say, that's me. I want to follow Jesus. I want to do that. I want to do that. I see a couple of guys here. All right. Now for the rest of you, how many of you say, I've had a wrong vision. I've had a wrong viewpoint of my life. I've had a wrong mindset and I need a new promise from God and I want to begin to step into a new territory and possess my possessions. Would you just raise your hand as an act of faith? Say, that's me. I want to move in. Just as an act of faith. Alright. So I want us to all pray right here together. Just begin to pray with me. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, I pray that your salvation would just begin to move in each heart. We believe, Lord Jesus, that not only did you die on the cross for our sins, but that you were raised up from the dead for our justification. Your blood, Jesus, is applied to our lives this morning. We're forgiven of all of our sin and we are free. But Lord, you didn't just die so that we could go to heaven. You died so that we could bring heaven to earth. And so, Lord, I pray that your promises would begin to flood the hearts of every person here and we would begin to get a faith-filled vision of our future. A faith-filled vision of our future, of your future, God, for our lives, for our families, and, Lord, for our community. Fill us with that, God, and give us the strength to be like Caleb and say, Lord, give me this mountain. Give me this mountain. Let me move into this area. We ask all these things right now, Father, in Jesus' mighty name.